This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, and uh, thank you for joining us for what I believe is our 50th broadcast, and uh, we're glad you've been here all along. Um, I'm Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in sunny Santa Monica, and I'm pleased to be seated. Um, today's show is packed with some great information and guests. We have uh, Mike Zanis leading off. He's the um, Vice President and General Counsel of the Interactive Advertising Bureau, or IAB as most people know it. In addition, on the second half hour, we're going to have someone from the Reporters Without Borders organization, which has released the Enemies of the Internet report in connection with the Global um, Day Against uh, Internet Censorship. So um, before we start, um, thank you again for all of you who've been listening to these past 50 shows. Uh, we appreciate your support. Um, seems that we have re- gotten back our mojo. Um, the first couple of shows we had... Um, we have one guest immediately after um, being on the show. He was talking about the Amazon tax in Colorado. Um, within hours of being on the show, he got a call from the court that his motion to challenge the law uh, had won. Um, and then we had someone come on speak about Egypt. And the very next weekend, Mubarak fell. Well, last week's guest, John Nicholson, um, he's a Vanderbilt alum. And Vanderbilt had a surprising upset of Kentucky, won the SEC tournament. So... Um, Mike, you're with us. Mike Zanis. Congratulations on your 50th. Thank you, Mike. So who knows? Maybe the mojo will rub off for you guys. And, well, uh, oh, I well I'm a Michigan stuff. State Shout Spartan alum, so I'm, I'm going to be hoping um, some of that mojo rubs off on them in the big dance. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that'll be yet to be seen. Um, 
So I actually, I actually offered the um, Boston Red Sox to come on the show last year while we still had our mojo, and <laughs> you know they declined, and the rest is history. Um, one last shout out is to the American University Rhodes Scholars who are in Los Angeles here uh, as part of a trip. They um, go during their breaks; they go to cities across the, the world to meet with business leaders and learn more about what's going on in different cities on a business and cultural level. So it was nice to meet with them last night. So Mike. Um, you guys are always at the center of the privacy debate, and um, and you you're right now um, that debate has been giving new life with President Obama's um, announcement of a consumer privacy bill of rights. What, what's the IAB take on that? Well, you know, Bennett, it's been a long time since, and we've had an administration get heavily involved in sort of internet policy. So it's actually. A welcome uh, advancement, I think, to have administrations so engaged in in looking at the long-term health of the Internet. And, of course, the recognition that privacy, consumer privacy, is really important. And that's something that the IAB has has always promoted to to us, our 500-plus member companies who are the largest websites online, who all sell advertising, also, the small mom-and-pop shops then depend upon advertising revenue to provide wonderful content and services to consumers free of charge. We, we have to respect the user's privacy, and uh, that's the most important asset that any online company can have. It's that trust between the consumer and themselves. And if they're not respecting that and building trust, then they're moving backwards. And that's not good for anybody. So when we look at this, of course, the devil's always in the details. Um, but from a high level, I think having an engaged administration is, is a very big positive for both consumers and industry. I think as we start to really digest this Consumer Privacy Bill of Rights, what it what they sort of propose at a very high level and how it might actually be implemented, you know, we will just have to work with the administration. We'll have to work with the U.S. Department of Commerce, the Federal Trade Commission, which is the key consumer protection agency in the United States, to make sure that we get the balance right. Because ultimately, the reason the administration got involved was that they wanted to find the right balance between consumer privacy protections and innovation in the digital economy. And that's a goal that uh, we support. And as part of the bill, um, excuse me, as part of the announcement, um, was kind of an industry endorsement of some form of form of do not track mechanism at the browser level. Now, was, that, was that a major breakthrough? Well, it's something that uh, the industry had, had agreed to at a very high level almost a year ago. And the idea was that our industry came together about three years ago to create a, a group called the Digital Advertising Alliance. Uh, IEB is one of the founding members of that group, and, and I participate on the board. But it's all the major marketing and advertising industries, trade associations, the major companies, then came together to advance uh, consumer transparency and choice in, in the digital space. Um, <clears throat> so... What we've been doing is to try to find ways to revolutionize how we discuss privacy with consumers by having easier to understand notices that are more easily discoverable, but also to empower consumers to exercise choice if they don't like 
having data collected for things like advertising purposes. So I think the browser issue, sort of looking at whether a, the, the major browsers and consumers utilize to get online could help um, further our program and perhaps provide an additional consumer touch point to provide easier notice uh, is, is, is nothing new. Uh, now, we did. You're right. We, we finally put some real parameters around trying to incorporate browser tools into our existing Digital Advertising Alliance, the DAA program. And we've said that we think we can accomplish that goal in the, over the course of the next nine months. So we're hard at work doing that. And what we need to make sure we do is we have a consistent consumer experience that is easy to use, but then still, as the administration said, finds the right balance between privacy and innovation. And, you know, the... Um one thing that has been constant in this debate is to what to what extent can we rely on self-regulation? And, you know, this is the debate that's been going on almost since 1999. And uh, I, I gave a talk yesterday on this very topic. And if you look, one way to look at this, where we are now is that in some ways we're still arguing the same points. You know, should there be regulation or not? You know, do we rely on self-regulation or not? And but at the same time, you know we're now in you know, four years into the IAB self-regulatory principles, and you've actually added an um, enforcement to that with your recent uh, deal with the uh, Better Business Bureau. Can you tell us how that's working out? Absolutely, uh, Bennett. You were there at the at the beginning in '99, '98, when uh, third-party advertising networks, companies like DoubleClick came together to create the first self-regulatory program, and that was blessed by the Federal Trade Commission. Now, we know that we have to continue to evolve and adapt and advance self-regulation, as the industry does and as business models change and as the Internet grows. So the DAA program was meant to do just that, was to expand it and bring it beyond just third-party ad networks. And, and then at the end of the day, any self-regulatory program is only as strong as the enforcement mechanism that backs it up. And that's why the partnership with the Council of Better Business Bureaus is so vital to the uh, uh, important to the really the vitality of this self-regulatory program because they have already issued uh, a number of enforcement actions where they are actively policing the entire Internet, not just IEB member companies, the entire Internet to, f to ensure that people are following the right practices. And then it, when they find people who are in violation of these principles, they can work with them and bring them back into, uh, back into compliance. And if a company refuses, then they're gonna, there's going to be a public statement. There's going to be referral to the Federal Trade Commission for possible law enforcement. And there's going to be a referral to the IAB, and, and they will not be allowed to be IAB members. We'll expel any companies that won't come into compliance. Now, the key thing about the White House announcement that I think has been a little bit lost on people because it's much sexier to talk about the Consumer Privacy Bill of Rights. And, you know, Bennett, you were right to lead with that. That's the big issue and the one that gets headlines. But what also happened was that the administration embraced the DAA program, and they identified this program as very strong, a strong, um, strong principles, real enforcement, advancing consumer protections, and that 
this is a model of success when we look to how we can incorporate what they call, quote-unquote, enforceable codes of conduct. Let's look at the DAA program and see if we can replicate that in other areas. And that's really gratifying for us because we put so much work into it over the years. Yeah, and you have. And actually, we actually had Peter Marinello um, from um, the BBB on our show um, earlier last year, and um, or this year, I should say, and he talked about you know the self-regulatory program and the um, and just you know their role is in the um, national advertising division of the BBB, which mm-hmm. has played a major role in regulating um, the industry as advertising practices as an you know completely you know independent body, not not a governmental actor. And, and the BBB um, has decades of experience, and, and they've built up this wonderful reputation for independent enforcement, which is exactly why we partnered with them, because they know the advertising and marketing space, they know the privacy space, and, and we knew that we had to have them uh, enforcing our program if we were going to be taken seriously, because without the BBB program, the White House would not have uh, endorsed the DAA. It just simply wouldn't happen. So in in terms of where we are now, um, it see my impression of what the White House was doing was that the, you know Congress has been preoccupied with SOPA and net neutrality, and that the, the whole privacy debate was was kind of stuck in the mud, and that this was uh, a way to you know to push the car out of the mud pit and back onto the freeway, um, for lack of a better analogy. And it, it, where do you see, see us right now on Capitol Hill in terms of a privacy debate? Well, I think you're right. I think your analysis, this was actually part of a broader effort by the administration on, on what they're terming the we can't wait uh, agenda, which is to find issues that have been held up in the legislative process in Congress and to try to see if they can promote real-world solutions. Uh, and, and they saw the opportunity, because largely because of what the DAA has done, to be able to advance consumer privacy. And, uh, and, and I think that's right, because Congress doesn't tend to move quickly, especially on technology issues. You know, with, with the debate over SOPA and PIPA that was raging not too long ago, the likelihood of Congress jumping in and looking at new regulations on the Internet is very low this year. And it's a presidential election year, so there's a lot of politics going on. And privacy is not an easy issue to, uh, to, to look at, especially if you don't have the expertise, you don't know all the players that make up sort of this digital supply chain that make the Internet the most robust uh, platform in the world. Right, and rule number one is do no harm. Now, the one, one other option on a regulatory front you know, for, for Congress would be to try to find one issue and carve that out. Okay, we can't really figure out what should be the global standards for privacy, but you know, maybe we can agree on do not track. Do you see even anything like that happening? Well, I don't think on do not track because do not track is simply a proxy for broad uh, online privacy legislation, and, and it just becomes unwielding and, frankly, unworkable. But to carve off distinct issues is a possibility. I think we're going to see more focus this year on things like uh, mobile privacy, things like how precise mobile location data is used. And I think you can, you know, Congress can, can sort of bite that much off, 
They can look at it. I don't know if they can get a bill passed. I'm not sure there's a need for that. But I think we can have a really detailed discussion about that and debate on, in, before Congress. And I think children's online safety issues are, are the same sort of, of issues that Congress can take a, a very focused uh, look at and try to see if, if there's a gap in, in existing law where that needs to be closed. But again, I think the likelihood, if I was a betting man, I, I, I think they're, to use my NCA analogy, I think those pieces of legislation are a 16 seed right now and not likely to move <laughs> up their seating anytime soon. Yeah, but the question is whether they're a butler or not. And uh, <laughs> so um, switching from uh, NCAA to, I guess, um, P- uh, FIFA, um, <laughs> um, to continue the analogy, the EU is um, also exploring privacy at the, at the moment. And you know, they have actually taken the approach on that they think that you need to opt in, affirmatively opt in to any type of um, behavioral tracking. And what has been the IRB response to that? Well, you know, Europe passed their data directive, really been working on this issue since the 80s, but certainly for the last decade they've had this notion in the digital space that consumer consent, i.e. opt-in, is needed before any kind of data is collected or, or used for things like marketing or really any purposes. They have a very broad definition. Uh, and and. So technically, the, they've had these laws out there. Now, they haven't been largely transposed into country-specific laws, so they haven't really been codified on the local level throughout the European states. Um, and there certainly has not been any enforcement. So we've been having these debates. People have been saying it's inevitable, and we will have an opt-in regime in Europe. And, and it hasn't really come to fruition. So I think that drumbeat continues and certainly, I think, is quickening as the privacy debate has advanced. Um, but it's not inevitable. And, and, but what is inevitable is then the uncertainty of this incredibly burdensome regulatory regime fundamentally uh, uh, sort of just retards the growth of the digital space throughout Europe. You're not getting the investment. You're not getting the innovation because people don't know if they, if they build new products and services if suddenly they're going to be found uh, to be illegal. And we've seen that in certain countries where things like the Facebook like button are suddenly made illegal. And, and so they, they have to pull back these services. And that's not good, especially for multinational companies where they want to build kind of one platform for, for the world as much as possible, at least on the back-end technology side. It's very hard to customize these things to local laws, especially when there's uncertainty as to what the law says. So we continue to work in the European field to try to make sure we get the right balance. We have some wonderful partners in Europe, including an IEB Europe, uh, as well as country-specific IEBs, and help us with boots on the ground in this effort. Now, um, the, the big concern about the EU initiative is that you, you could actually start to have um, an internet with borders. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a world wide web for a good reason, but when you we start carving off certain areas that have its own unique um, and you know very restrictive um, regulation, all of a sudden you you create problems for the growth of the internet. I would suspect. 
With, without a doubt, that's that's been borne out in the European market, where you would you would expect a much more robust and larger internet advertising marketplace. But it, it hasn't grown as fast as it should. Some economic uh, studies have shown it it's it's only grown about fifty percent of what it should if uh, if you didn't have these kind of economic or excuse me these regulatory burdens and this uncertainty kind of hanging over everybody's head. Now we're lucky in the United States. We we've had certainty. We've had a, a legislative and regulatory regime and framework that really promotes innovation and job creation. Um, and there hasn't been this demonstration of, of of real consumer harm because the industry cares about privacy. So we've seen the in the U.S. marketplace we've grown to over thirty billion dollars in online advertising uh, last year alone. So you know that that accounts for over 3 million U.S. jobs. It's, it's really growing by double digits uh, quarter over quarter, year over year. So that's a success story that we would like to, to emulate around the globe because what you see is incredible investment, especially in the mobile platform in South America. You see the Asian markets are just beginning to explode. And what you would hate is, the, is you would hate for the innovation and the investment to leave the European market, which has been a stalwart and, and, and is a wonderful partnership market with the United States. But, but that's certainly, those are the stakes. Well, one of the innovations we have here in the United States is called a commercial break. And we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report on Webmaster Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. As you know, being an expert at f- <gasps> What did she say? Requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f- You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their performance to the next level. The language! Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on Aquizio. Oh. Buy, track, manage, optimize, and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit Aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio. Search, social, display, one platform. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. From the creators of We Build Pages, experience the power of the Internet Marketing Ninja. An exclusively trained army of nearly 100 in-house ninjas. Mastered in the arts of social media, local marketing, content creation, SEO reporting, and yes, link building. The Internet Marketing Ninjas will release a new version of their legendary tools to the public. Visit imninjas.com. The ninjas are coming. 
WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. I'm here with Mike Zanis from the Interactive Advertising Bureau, or IAB. Um, Mike's overseen some tremendous growth of the IAB over the years. Um, how, how big is the IAB? How, how much has it grown in your tenure? Well, it's in, and it's not necessarily my tenure, but I've been there for five years. I was fortunate enough to open up their very first policy office in Washington, D.C., and under the guidance of Randall Rothenberg, our president and CEO, and, and the, 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 the growth and commitment of the industry, we've, we've uh, tripled our uh, revenues. We've doubled our members to well over 500 members now, uh, and, and that's because it's an industry, like I mentioned before, that has grown to over $30 billion in the U.S. So it's been a good run, Bennett. And um, I should point out that you're a you're a Georgetown grad as well. You got a degree in public policy and law from Georgetown. That's right. That's right. Um, do you root for them in, in the in the championships, or do you root for um, your undergrad school? I, uh, I I always root for the Hoyas, and I've been fortunate enough to see them play in a Final Four. Uh, but at the end of the day, I bleed green, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to see the the Spartans win a national championship, albeit twelve years ago. So we're 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 pining for another one. Well, good luck there. Now, one other, uh, one other topic is the FTC is going to convene a forum in May on um, re- revi- re- revising the. Um, what is known as the dot-com disclosure guidelines. And, and this is particularly in light of you know, what should be the appropriate standards um, for disclosures on a mobile platform. You know, because obviously the whole purpose of the dot-com disclosure guidelines was they came out because we now had a new platform where consumers were dealing with. And you know, mm-hmm. something at the bottom of a page of a newspaper is different than the bottom of a page of a website. And um, you know, do you guys have any insights on as to where the uh, FTC is going or what the IAB expects to present at that um, workshop? Well, you know, I, I'm not sure I know exactly where they're going. I think one of the nice things about the FTC is they, they really like to get to know an industry before they kind of dive in. And, and so I think this is an effort to keep uh, current, to get fully up to speed on all the uh, the technology, all the new business models in this space before they make proposals. And the dot-com disclosures are nice guidelines to companies to, to help them as they build businesses and as they grow their, their digital presence to really know some of the rules of the road. They're not regulations per se, but, but they help you know how certain restrictions may be enforced by the FTC. So we want to work uh, productively with them in collaboration. For us, the key is let's not, uh, let's not fall into some of the old traps. When we l- look at legislative proposals, it's easy to fall back and go, you must provide you know, X, Y, and Z type of information in your privacy policy if you're collecting data. Well, you know what? We know that consumers don't read privacy policies, and we know that they're written by lawyers. No offense to you and I, Bennett, but that doesn't work for <laughs> consumers. Let's get out of that old paradigm. Let's find new ways to engage consumers. What the DAA has done is we've begun uh, using an icon within advertisements 
then is easily discoverable. And when you click on it, it you get two or three sentences at most, kind of a layered uh, privacy notice and tells you how data is being collected. We, we ought to be innovating in the privacy area, and the FTC and the government ought to allow us to innovate and encourage that. So that's where I hope that the FTC will go with their dot-com disclosures. I mean, Mike, you raise a very good point, and, and it, um, it's the extent that even the FTC at the, their privacy workshops from two years ago, you know, they, they can see that nobody reads it. But it seems that the first reads privacy policies, but it seems that the, the first point of discussion for how to deal with privacy is always more disclosures, more disclosures, and not better disclosures. And 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 you're suggesting that maybe the you know the icon is is a good start because it seems to have worked for you guys, and and, and particularly in a mobile platform, you know you, you don't have room, and an icon-based system might actually be brilliant in that case. I think that's right. I mean, who, you know, we shouldn't put such a burden on consumers to read a 15-page privacy policy to find out what's occurring with, with data online. So let's let the innovators innovate. I mean, that's what Silicon Valley's about. That's what these technology companies are about. And, and when we uh, organize them like, like we have done with the IAB and, and other groups, we can actually come up with some really creative solutions because we also marry the, the creative folks from uh, Madison Avenue in New, in New York City, and, and they can come up with things that really work better for consumers. And let's see if we can't promote those kinds of ideas and embrace those instead of just codifying static, detailed notices. We can do better. We should. So, Mike, do you personally know Don Draper? <laughs> I, I don't, but uh, about once a week I try to get to know him for, for about a 45 minutes. <laughs> so um, in terms of you know, if people are trying to uh, learn more about the IAB, well, one thing about let me back up a sec. You mentioned the IAB's growth. Um, the IAB actually publishes a very valuable report and uh, on quarterly in, in conjunction with PricewaterhouseCooperhouse uh, of um, measuring, providing metrics on where uh, online advertising is in terms of you know um, sales and also going down to um, what components of online advertising uh, mm-hmm. are getting um, ad dollars and uh, it's a very useful report um, and uh, what's it called Mike the well, it, it's the IEB uh, Interactive Advertising re- Revenue Report, and we do partner with Price Waterhouse Coopers. We publish that quarterly, and it's 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 a uh, it's a look back. It's actual reporting of ad revenue in the United States, and we gather that from our membership. So it's very uh, it's very accurate. And you're right; it's it's broken down by platform. So you get to see how is display advertising growing this quarter? How did it grow last quarter? How did it grow last year? How is search advertising faring? And, uh, and, and it's just an invaluable resource to kind of understand where the industry is and, and where it's going. You know, it's interesting because I, you know, following it over the last decade, you see the point in which online advertising, for example, at one point was just below billboards. You know, the first thing it surpassed was movie advertising. Yeah, and then it passed billboards, and now it's it's creeping up or even past newspaper ads, and right. uh, you know it's been an incredible growth. Um, but of course, TV's probably going to be paramount for some time. And um, so, Mike, um, anything you want to plug before before we shift to our second segment? 
Uh, nothing, nothing to plug other than uh, uh, your radio show, Bennett. It's it's been a pleasure <laughs> as as always. And like I said, congratulations on your fiftieth. That's a wonderful milestone, and uh, and I hope you'll have me back uh, during the course of the next fifty. It's always been a pleasure having you, Mike, and talking to you. Mike is definitely. Um, I, we used to call him the rising star in the industry, but I think he's already there. And um, so Mike Zanis is at the IAB. Mike, what's your email? It's just, it's as simple as you can get. It's mike at iab.net. Feel so for free those to, you, uh, um, to t- contact me with any questions. In your car while driving. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the easiest email address you can think of. But, um, Mike, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure, and I uh, wish you continued success. And um, hope you come back. And um, we're going to shift to our second segment now. Mike, thanks again. Um, Thank you, Ben. We have Delphine. Um, Our next guest is Delphine Haglund. She is the um, Washington, D.C. Director for Reporters Without Borders. And it's actually an organization based in France. And um, Reporters Without Borders actually is, is... has been working for years promoting um, freedom of press and also um, protection of journalists. And um, it has a running log of, of reporters uh, who have been killed in different countries. I believe it's been 12 already this year. Um, Delphine's background is, um, is she works with the U.S. Activities for the Organization and advocates for journalists, bloggers, and media rights worldwide. Um, she previously was a press attaché in charge of outreach at the French Embassy in Washington, D.C., and um, also is, has a degree in journalism. Um, she has been um, working as an economic journalist for various French media, focusing mainly on international politics and macroeconomic issues. And so we're looking forward to having her. They've just recently released um, their Enemies of the Internet of, from 2012, um, it's an annual report they release in connection with, of, in connection with the Global Day Against Cyber Censorship. And what's interesting about the report is not the obvious as to who are the enemies, but the not so obvious as to who's on the watch list. And um, some countries you might be surprised to find who are on the watch list: um, Australia, France, India. South Korea, um, Thailand. These are all um, allies of ours who are actually currently listed as the watch list, um, and we're going to ask for why that is. Um, of course, the um, the top ranking is uh, Iran, North Korea, as you might suspect. But we have, I believe we have Delphine. Dave, Delphine, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us, and congratulations on um, the International Day Against... Um, Cyber censorship. Um, can you tell us just very briefly what is um, Reporters Without Borders? So, Reporters Without Borders is a French NGO defending uh, journalists all over the world, and we were funded in 1985. And our first mission is to report and investigate on cases of journalists who are arrested, threatened, tortured, or sometimes murdered. Uh, every day. But since 10 years, we open um, an internet desk, which becomes actually one of our more important desks. And uh, I- initially at this desk, we monitor internet censorship cases. 
But now we do more than that, and we will, we help also like newspaper to protect uh, their website, or or we also organize a workshop for journalists to teach them how to protect their data or, or things like that. So that's why we publish uh, every day press release, like four or five press release on what's happening in Kazakhstan, Philippines, Thailand. And we, we are able to do that thanks to a, a network of 150 correspondents that we have all over the world. And there are mostly journalists who are also working for us to let us know what happens to journalists in their own country. So um, that's and, our work. <laughs> and... Um, and one of the things that you guys do is you publish the enemies of the internet. Yes, every year and, we publish go ahead. this list. And um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. it's a, it's a, this list in a sense uh, we publish it on we publish it on the World Day Against Cyber Censorship, and it's a way to sum up our daily work on uh, internet censorship cases and just to to put really clearly what are the worst countries in regards of um, Internet freedom. And we have two categories, as you mentioned, the enemies of the Internet, where you can find the, the countries like Burma, China, Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Syria, but also Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Vietnam. And the two new countries of this uh, list this year are Bahrain and Belarus. And on the and other uh, categories, countries under surveillance, you can find uh, countries uh, like Venezuela, Libya, but as you mentioned, also more democratic country like France or Australia. Now, you know, in terms of the the internet enemies, you know, what's like uh, what's an example of what would make someone an enemy of the internet? So, to be uh, in this category, it really means that the this, the regime are using drastic uh, tools to filter the content, to restrict access, and also they it means that uh, they track their cyber dissidents, or that they use also internet for online propaganda. But maybe I can give you an example in different countries so it can help you to to understand what it could really mean. So, like, by example, in Bahrain, which entered this category this year, uh, we, during the revolution, which is still going on, actually, uh, we really noticed that the um, government was uh, uh, arresting bloggers and netizens, and they were able to do that because they implement a really uh, efficient monitoring system, and uh, they they wanted really to monitor what the opposant express online. And uh, if we're so concerned about um, Bahrain, it's because one of the uh, bloggers who was arrested died when he was in detention, and um, the authorities... Uh, try to hide the way he died, but we're kind of sure that he died because of torture. Um, now, let's talk about the watch list. And, yeah. and what is the purpose of the watch list? It's, it's in a sense, um, a way in some some countries like France or Australia, it's because we have real concern most of the time uh 
about could potentially be very dangerous for internet freedom. But in in this list, you also have country like uh, uh, Thailand, and uh, it's for Thailand. It's more that we are very worried because uh, it seems that the um, they're going in the wrong direction in a sense. They put in jail some netizens uh, on Les Majesté charge, and it's it's more that. Uh, everybody in Thailand who will critique or even uh, critique the king could be in danger. And, of course, as the Internet is a way to express yourself, uh, netizens are punished also. And it's and when I say that, it's like if a, uh, a Thai citizen, like uh, on Facebook, uh, an article who could be potentially criticizing the king, he could be putting, he could uh, be arrested for that. Um, yes, and actually, Thailand was, um, I think, ranked number one in terms of the um, number of um, requests to Twitter to actually censor content. Um, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, um, we'll be talking to Delphine um, more about. Reporters Without Borders, and um, some of their other reports that they've released in the past year on Internet censorship and Internet freedom. After these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. In 500 yards, CPA Way will be on your right. You have reached your destination. On the interstate of Internet marketing, CPA Way helps you monetize the way. No matter which direction you're heading, CPA Way is your route to low-risk revenue. Advertisers, we have paved the way to delivering revenue channels that will meet and exceed your expectations. Publishers, we monitor and manage your campaigns to bring you the most revenue possible. Publishers can feel secure to leverage direct offers, while advertisers can find safety, offering their most valued campaigns. The road to trust, respect, integrity, and honor is just ahead at cpaway.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. 
You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment. WebmasterRadio.fm Because not everyone's last name is Gates. WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Um, and we're back. This is Bennett Kelly, and um, you listen to the 50th edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. And um, we have with us um, Delphine from the Reporters Without Borders, and we just they just celebrated the Global Day Against Internet Censorship. And as part of that day, they award a prize to the Netizen Prize. Delphine, what is the Netizen Prize? It's a, a prize where we award, uh, in a sense, the courage of, and the work of um, netizens, that means citizens, who use the Internet to, as a tool, as a really important tool to circulate information, but also to organize themselves. And this year we award uh, a, a Syrian woman uh, that we have to call her by a nickname to protect her. So we will call her Jasmine. And she was in charge of um, different uh, media centers across Syria during uh, all the, the revolution. And, the, and uh, they are still working, and it, it's like... As uh, no media or, or were available to do their own their work uh, to just inform people of what was happening, in a sense, the community in Syria organized themselves and uh, organized this media center, a network of media center, to just be able to know what ha- what what ha- is happening in another city in Syria. And so we awarded this network of media center and the person who was uh, responsible uh, of these um, centers. And we had the ceremony in Paris uh, last Monday, and she was able to be here with us. And it was just a way to uh, highlight uh, her courage and uh, the importance of their work. Now, when you say the term netizen, um, do most people understand what it what it means? Yeah, uh, maybe you know, not. I'm sorry. So, what we what we what mean is. by netizen is citizen, so normal normal people who use internet. So it's it and uh, just who do what everybody does in a sense. Uh, they have a Facebook account, sometimes a Twitter account. They exchange email. And that's, in a sense, what uh, most of the American people do and French people do too. But in some country, who have implemented monitoring system uh, to check what the citizens are doing, having a Facebook account and or like some articles on Facebook or express some ideas on Twitter can be very dangerous. Like. And that's why we use the term uh, netizen just to mean that there are normal people, not only journalists, uh, who are uh, attacked for what they express online. Netizens are really normal citizens um, are in danger because they just express themselves online. You hear that, Pascal? You're a normal person. Sorry? <laughs> I was talking to the producer. Thank um, you. And... Um, you have another report that came out earlier this year, the Press Freedom Index 
Mm-hmm. And um, you list a, a ranking of all the countries in the world on press freedom. And number one was a tie between Finland and Norway. But um, the United States actually fell approximately 20 points and was down yeah. to 47th in the ranking. What is Finland and Norway doing right, and what was the United States doing wrong to fall so far? So Finland and Norway are the best example for press freedom, and what it means if they are the, the best country uh, in, in this regard, it's because we, we, we didn't um, observe any um, uh, violation uh, of uh, press freedom. It means, of course, no murders, no physical attacks, but also no harassment, no self-censorship, and uh, that's that's what we refer in our, um, that's what we evaluate in our index, thanks to uh, 44 criteria. And, of course, in the United States, there were no murder of journalists, and in most of uh, the countries in, like, the the 50th uh, first country on, on our list are kind of good country in regards of uh, press freedom. But why um, this important fell in the U.S. this last year? It was mostly because of the large number of arrests of journalists were during the Occupy uh, movement. Uh, like, uh, actually, dozens of journalists were arrested uh, and sometimes ex- even exposed to pro- police brutality and sometimes even charged. So that was the main reason of this important fail. But there's also other reason, kind of old concerns that we have uh, in the U.S., which weren't addressed by the Obama administration. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, the protection of sources. In the U.S., there's still no federal law that could allow journalists to protect their sources. And it's a, it's a real... It's a real concern. I'm thinking, by example, of the case of a New York Times journalist, uh, James Risen, and he is asked right now to give the name of his sources um, on, a, of course, on a national security issue. And uh, so, the protection of sources is one of our concerns, but also access to official information could still be difficult when, of course, it's linked to a national security issue. But there's also another fact that uh, is really uh, concerning is the fact that the Obama administration has initiated five prosecutions against uh, pot, uh, alleged leakers, and uh, it's represented the highest number under any administration. So that oh. are the main explanation of this um, the position of the U.S. But just to make maybe uh, <laughs> give you a comparison, you know, France is only thirty eighth uh, at the only thirty eighth position. So there, there's a lot of democracies who are still to improve their press freedom. What, was there any official reaction to the ranking by the uh, Obama administration? Um, no official, but we we uh, work not work, but we we ask and we send letters 
quite often to uh, the office of the Attorney General, Eric Alder, and they answer our our letters by giving us information. And uh, so we had no official uh, reaction uh, following the the report, but we have, in a sense, a continuing relationship with the administration. So it's they they were not so surprised by what we say in the report. They 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 already know what uh, our our concerns. So I mean, it's, it's very useful. I mean, to to have your insight, just because you know, a lot of our listeners, um, to them, the internet is a tool of commerce, um, mm-hmm. and this is how they make their living. And um, but it's also important to recognize that the internet is a vital tool for you know, a free society, and, yeah. and and that's in that sense what this whole global, global day against cyber censorship was about, was it not? Yes, it's it's actually true. It's just uh, a revolution doesn't happen just because of internet, and it it's maybe. Um, wrong to say that there were internet revolution during the Arab Spring, but that's what is sure and uh, that we have to highlight is that internet was used as a crucial tool to circulate information, also to uh, to organize protests, and it was essential in the surprising. And that's why the regimes uh, uh, responded with tough measure, uh, with tough monitoring, and with tough um, content filtering, and that's why, in a sense, also uh, 2011 will, rem- will, will remain as as the most violent year against netizens. Five five netizens, so citizens, were killed while engaged in reporting activity online, and nearly 200 uh, bloggers or netizens were arrested in 2011 which represented a 30% increase on 2010. And 200 um, bloggers arrested or netizen arrested, it's the result of monitoring system that the repressive regime are using. And these monitoring software are not coming from um, from Bahrain or from Iran or or they are coming from all Western countries. So we also have to be um, aware that if uh, these regimes are able to arrest and torture and sometimes kill uh, netizen, it's because of this technology that all Western countries. Uh, allow them to to get. Well, Delphine, well, we're running out of time. Um, if people want to learn more about um, Reporters Without Borders, where should they look? They should look on our website. <laughs> it's uh, rsf.org. And everything is in French, but English, Arabic, Spanish, Russian. So I'm sure everybody could find what you need. Thank you very much, Delphine. It's been a pleasure. Please stay in touch. Hope you come back someday. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thank you. And so we're, we're concluding our 50th episode, and we wouldn't have had any of them without the, the capable help of our um, skilled and um, excellent producer, Brasco. Thank you um, for all you've done in the last 50 shows. And this is Bennett Kelly with the Cyber Law and Business Report, um, broadcasting from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica, California. Um, court is adjourned, and I hope you'll join us next week. Um, In the interim, you can download our podcast from Webmaster Radio 
or iTunes. And、um, thanks again, and we'll be seeing you next week. Bye bye. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand, and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part: your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to trylifemd.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.